Um, and as a missionary, his job was to go to other nations and tell people about Jesus, uh, to tell them um, about who, who Jesus is, but he was also helping to uh, train up Christians in ministry. And I once uh, overheard a conversation with this guy that he was having with some people about what it's like when he comes back home to the UK, where he's from. And I overheard him saying something along the lines of that he found it quite difficult when he came back home because he just thinks there's a real sense of apathy amongst the church in the UK. I remember him using that word, apathy. And when he said that, something within me just deeply resonated with what he said because I know that apathy all too well in my own life. You know, I know what it's like to be apathetic, to feel quite complacent towards the gospel. You know, this guy was seeing the church grow around the world. He was getting to see Christians who, though they were under severe pressure and even persecution, he was getting to see Christians who were growing in their love of Jesus, Christians who were going out boldly on mission, Christians who were risking really everything to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And I compare myself to that and I go, man, then then it's me. I've got my Bible. In fact, I've got a bunch of Bibles, got a load at home as well. And I've got books about Jesus and I'm part of a church community. And you know, I've got Christian friends and I haven't got a lot of pressure on me for being a Christian. And yeah, I just feel so apathetic towards telling even my own granny about Jesus. I know what it's like to feel apathetic towards Jesus, or to put it in the language of this passage today, I know what it's like to feel spiritually sleepy. You know, Jesus speaks about spiritual sleepiness in Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 36, where he says to his disciples, watch yourselves, be alert. He says, stay awake at all times. You know, the, the claim of the Bible is that Christians are people who have been woken up, We're awake. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 5 to 6 puts it this way, that Christians are those who are no longer asleep like the unbeliever, but those who are awake to God and to God's purpose for our lives. You know, Christians are those who are no longer sleeping in the, the sleepiness of sin. You know, though we were once, we were born into sin, though we were once under the rule and reign and power of sin, and in the darkness of sin, The gospel is Jesus, the light of the world, shone a light into the darkness. He came to meet us in the darkness. He came to wake us up, to set us free from sin. Romans 6 says we are now dead to sin. We're alive in Christ. We are people who can wholeheartedly say this morning, we are awake. It means then that the Christian life is one that is going forward. You know, Philippians 3, Paul says, I press on towards the goal. I press on towards Jesus. We are moving towards Jesus because we're not lying down asleep in sin anymore. We are spiritually alive. We've been resurrected. We're awake. But still, I hope, you know, we all go, amen. Somewhere inside us, I hope we're saying amen amen to all that stuff. You know, amen, we're awake. But still, we know what it's like to feel spiritually sleepy, don't we? We know what it's like to feel quite apathetic towards our Bible, towards going to church, to wanting to tell other people about Jesus. 
We know what it's like to feel sleepy, even towards Jesus himself. You know, I see that in my own life when I have a free evening and I go, I could either watch some Netflix tonight or I could spend time with Jesus. You know, most, well, don't want to rag on us watching Netflix. It's good to have time of rest. But the point being, how often does my heart go to Netflix over going to Jesus? You know, sometimes spiritual sleepiness is brought about in us when something has just gone terribly wrong in our lives. Or maybe more accurately, we don't realise how spiritually sleepy we are until that moment, until the rubber hits the road, until we really need to see if our faith will stand the, the test of the trial we're going through. And that is what we see in this passage today. Because everything has gone wrong for this family. Mary, Martha and Lazarus, their brothers and sisters, they love each other. And more than that, they love Jesus. This is the family that hosted Jesus and his disciples. They had Jesus over for a meal. It's the familiar passage where Martha is cooking the food and Mary just wants to be near Jesus. Uh, you know, and, and verse 5 of chapter 11 says explicitly that Jesus loved this family. But everything's gone wrong. You know, Lazarus has died. As Jesus says in verse 11, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And so what I hope we're going to do today is as we examine this passage, we look at these people, actually we should be examining ourselves for the symptoms of spiritual sleepiness that we know in our own lives. And this is our first point. We've been called to spot the symptoms of spiritual sleepiness. I wonder if you've ever been with someone when they died. It's not the sort of question you ask at the dinner table, is it? But I wonder if you've ever been with someone when they've died. I know we've got a number of people at, at Trinity Church who are involved uh, with the NHS, and so probably you've been around that kind of thing before. I wonder if we've been around somebody who we know and love when they've died. If you have, it's really hard, isn't it? Seeing the life slowly fade away from this person seeing them kind of struggling to breathe, even down to that last second. You know, death isn't dignifying. Death is awful. And that is exactly what Mary and Martha have recently experienced in this reading today. Their dearly loved brother Lazarus is dying. We don't know what the illness is. We don't know his age. We don't know anything. But it seems that he's come on quite quickly and he's just going downhill. And so what do the sisters do? We see, again, if you want to flick back a page in, in verse three, the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. So they sent this message out, go get Jesus. Tell him that Lazarus, he loves Lazarus. Tell him that Lazarus is dying. Jesus will come and fix this. And you can just imagine them as they're looking after Lazarus, and as they're seeing him getting more and more sick, as his fever is going up, as he's throwing up, as he's spacing out, they keep looking out the window, where is Jesus? And we see that Jesus actually stayed two days where he was before he even took a step towards Mary and Martha. And so here these sisters trying to look after Lazarus, where is Jesus? Say to the messenger, are you sure you spoke to the right Jesus? Where is he? Why is he not here? And then two days later, Lazarus is dead. You know, it can be so easy for us, can't it, in those moments of life where everything just seems to go wrong, it's so easy for us to doubt God's care for us. This is our first 
spiritual um, sleepy symptom. Spiritual sleepiness is when we start to doubt God's care. And we see that in this passage with the sisters. You know, it's really easy to believe in God's care for you when the sun is shining like it was yesterday and you've got a belly full of food and life is just good. It's much harder to believe God cares for you when there's a corpse in the room. You know, the last time Jesus was with this family, Lazarus was alive. They were eating together. No doubt they were just listening to Jesus, drawing near to Jesus. You know, Mary, who refused to even leave Jesus' feet, she just wanted to be there near him. It was a house of celebration together. Jesus is here, but now it's a house of mourning. Lazarus is dead, and Mary, verse 21, she's not even coming out of the house to see Jesus. The one who just wanted to sit at the master's feet is now just staying in the house of mourning. And both sisters, when they do speak to Jesus, did you notice that they say exactly the same thing to him? In verse 21 and 32, they say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. In other words, Jesus, where were you? Don't you care? I thought you loved Lazarus. I thought you loved us. I thought you were for us. Why didn't you come? Why did you let this thing happen? I prayed about this. We sent a message to you and still you didn't show up. Jesus, don't you care? You know, an unresolved question like that in our own lives is just like a weight that slows us down in our walk with Jesus. It might not be that we're not saying we're not a Christian anymore, but somewhere there's a doubt that's taken root saying, if Jesus really cared about me, would the awfulness of this situation have happened? It's like a heavy blanket that kind of just lies over us. It makes us sleepy towards God. It makes us sleepy in our doubts. So spiritual sleepiness looks like doubting God's care. But it also looks like this. It's our second point. Spiritual sleepiness can look like questioning God's plan. You know, when Jesus told his disciples that he was going to go wake Lazarus up, the disciples just didn't get it, did they? Again, if you flick back, you'll see this. At this point, the disciples are totally spiritually sleepy as well. So there in verse 12, Jesus has said, Lazarus has fallen asleep, I'm going to wake him up. And the disciples, what do they respond with? Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Don't you just love how patient Jesus is towards these disciples here? He doesn't say, you don't know what you're talking about. What does he say? We see these spiritually disciples come to him and they lack so much faith. They don't get who he is. They, and what do they do? They try and tell Jesus, the son of God, the ruler of the universe, the maker of all things, the one who's suddenly holding all things together in that very moment. They say to him, Jesus, that's not a good idea. You might not realize this, Jesus, but sick people need to rest. It's not a very good idea to wake them up. Your plan, Jesus, isn't a very good one. You know, I think that is sometimes uh, how we sound when we pray. That's what struck me when I was reading this earlier this week. We can pray spiritually sleepy prayers like the disciples here when we try and tell God what we think is best for us. You know, instead of going to God and asking God to change me according to his great plan, 
I tell him, actually, God, you need to change the plan and just leave me alone. You know, what's going on in my life right now, God, it isn't very good. I didn't get the job. I haven't secured the house. The dream house isn't working out. My family member is sick and that's, doesn't, that's not good. My family member is dying. My family member has died. God, your plan doesn't look very good to me. Spiritual sleepiness can look like being uh, questioning God's plan. And the third thing we see in the text here is that spiritual sleepiness is denying God's power. You know, even when Jesus has shown up to the scene, even when he's come to the house of mourning, Martha is still doubting him. She is unwilling to truly believe that Jesus really actually does have the power to turn this situation around. You know, did you notice this? In verse 39, when Jesus goes to Lazarus's tomb and, she, and Jesus says, remove the stone, what does Martha say? He says, but he has been dead for four days and by now there is a bad odour. You know, I used to be an undertaker which was an interesting job. And uh, I always have got a lot of stories from it. And one of the, the, my jobs obviously would be to go collect the bodies of people who have died. And my least favorite would be when I get a phone call like in the middle of the night uh, from someone saying, there's this situation, we need, you know, we need the company to come and remove this body. And so you know, I drive to this place knowing that I'm going to a place of death. Drive across the city at night time. Everything seems worse than night anyway. You go to some dark house in the, some dark corner of the city. When you step into the house, you know, often there might be a police car outside. And you just know, step into the house is just not a good place to be. And upstairs in some tucked away corner somewhere, there's a door that I know that when I open that door, I'm going to be confronted with death in a very real way. And often in a very vivid, not pleasant way at all. And that, in Martha's mind, is what she thinks is going to happen right here. She thinks that when that door of that tomb is opened, there's going to be nothing but the stench of death right in front of her. But the crazy thing about Martha is, go back a few verses, she has just confessed in verse 27, she believes, she believes Jesus is the Son of God. She's made this amazing claim with her mouth. She believes Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one who is from God, who is coming into the world. So if we were to put that in language today, we'd say Martha is a Christian. She confesses with her mouth that Jesus is the Messiah. But she's still so sleepy to who Jesus really is. Because when it comes down to it, they're at the tomb, the, the door of the tomb, there she is doubting Jesus' power and authority. You know, she's a bit like, Jesus, if you'd been here sooner, I think you could have stopped Lazarus from dying. But now, it's four days later, who do you think you are? Do you really think you can turn this situation around? I wonder how often do we look at our circumstances in our own life and we have that question in our mind. You know, what are the tombstones in our life that we just don't want to open up? because we are convinced that Jesus doesn't really have the power to turn the situation around. You know, maybe it's a particular sin in your life, a particular sin that you've been struggling with for years. You've been a Christian for years and you've confessed this sin time and time again. 
But really, it, the, what it feels like is the, the tombstone is shut and you've just given up a bit. You're, just, you're a bit complacent to it. You're just going to keep it hidden away and just move on with your life. Or maybe it's a particular person in your life, someone who you are unwilling to tell the, the gospel to because you just honestly don't believe that Jesus could really save someone like that. Or maybe it's even you this morning, yourself. You just don't believe that Jesus could change someone like you. And that's why you've never really taken that real step of putting faith in Jesus. Spiritual sleepiness is a real thing. In our spiritual sleepiness, if we are doubting God's care, if we're questioning God's plan, we're denying God's power, then we need to hear what Jesus says to us today. In these words that I'm sure we're all so familiar with, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Trinity Church, we need to wake up to real life this morning. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been woken up, but we need to wake up again to the reality of the power of resurrection. You know, if you are someone this morning who is doubting God's care for you because of circumstances in your life, then just have a look here at how Jesus responds to the death of Lazarus and to the, de- to the grief and pain that these sisters are going through. Verses 33 to 35. When Jesus saw these sisters weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. They say, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why was Jesus weeping? That's a question that has been tons of books written about. Why was Jesus weeping here? Was he just weeping at the reality of death in front of him? I don't think so because he's the one who's going to overcome death. He knows death hasn't won. Is he weeping because of the reality of sin? Well, maybe, but I think more likely he was weeping because his love and his power and authority are being called into question here. Throughout the whole passage, did we see that? You know, it wasn't just the sisters who were questioning Jesus' authority. It was, and it wasn't just the disciples who were questioning Jesus' plan. Also, we see there in verse 37, these group of Jewish people who are mourning they say, could, they, could he who healed the blind man, could he not have also stopped this man from dying? Jesus wasn't just sad about death because he knows death hasn't won. The word that is used here says he was troubled. You know, if you, if you unpack that, it's, it's like he's disturbed, he's agitated. I think it's a bit more like Jesus was agitated that people who were there in front of him, people who have just confessed with their lips, that Jesus is their Lord, that they are now so spiritually sleepy that they cannot see that standing right in front of them is the resurrection and the life. It's as though Jesus is so frustrated, so deeply moved that these believers are still living like the powers of sin and death have won. Even though they confess with their mouths one thing, they're living like the powers of sin and death have won. They don't believe that Jesus can truly smash those powers. Brothers and sisters, Satan loves to try and convince us that sin and death have won. 
He loves to whisper in our ears, did God really say? You know, where, like he's been whispering it in the ears of Adam and Eve since Genesis 3. And I think he loves to whisper that in our ears when we're in those circumstances when life is hard, when life just feels the wrong way around, when it's hard to make sense of anything, when the cancer comes, when the, the relative dies, when the job hasn't worked out. Satan loves to try and get close to us and say, did God really say? Are you sure about this? It doesn't look much like Jesus cares for you right now. But remember, that's how these sisters felt. And then what did they see Jesus doing? Jesus wept. The Bible's telling us that Jesus looked at these people in their unbelief, in their sleepiness, and the reaction was so strong in him that he wept. And then what does he do? He takes a step forward and he moves to action to fix the unbelief of the people who were looking at him that day. Jesus steps forward to wake us up from our unbelief. You know, the unbelief of Mary and Martha led him to the tomb of Lazarus. But our unbelief led him to his own tomb. If you are sleepy this morning to just how much God loves you in Christ, then look at his tomb because it's empty. The price for our unbelief, the price for our doubts, the price for those times where we have pointed the finger and said, Jesus, where were you? All of that has been paid for at the cross. You know, every time that we've been like Mary and Martha saying, Jesus, where were you? Jesus could say to us, I went to the cross so that now not even death, not even your own death can separate you from me. Jesus loves us to his own death and then he rises again. You know that picture of Jesus as he was nailed to the cross, as he's surrounded by the crowds, where are the disciples? These spiritually sleepy disciples have abandoned him, haven't they? Yet again, these disciples don't believe in God's plan. Their spiritual sleepiness to doubt the plan is very evident at the cross. This man who they've been following, this man who made these amazing claims, this man who did these amazing miracles, it's over. He's on a cross. He's dying. He's dead. His body is in a tomb. But what does Jesus say to us in our unbelief? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. What looked like a hopeless situation at the cross was actually Jesus working for our good and for the glory of his Father. What looked like a hopeless situation was completely turned around three days later when Jesus, the resurrection and the life, breathed again. You know, when the disciples were questioning Jesus' plan to wake up Lazarus, what did Jesus say? He said, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. It's a hard thing to hear this morning, isn't it? For your sake, I am glad I was not there. This is verse 14 and 15. So that you may believe. Whoever you are this morning, whatever suffering you are going through, whether you're like Mary and Martha looking out the window saying, Jesus, where are you? Hear this. There is no, not even a millisecond 
of your life that cannot be redeemed for God's glory and for your good in your suffering so that, as Jesus says, you may believe. The suffering that Jesus allows us to go through is often used to wake us up to the reality of the glory of God, to see sin for what it is, to see this world for what it is, and to have our eyes fixed on the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who one day will make all of this new. On that day where all believers will be raised to new life with him. So that means that even today, in those most painful moments of our life, in our past, those things, those, those tombstones that we don't want to go near, or the evil that you've endured at the hands of others, all of it, all of it can be turned around for God's glory and for your good that you may believe and trust more deeply in the name of Jesus. The point is, resurrection changes everything. If Jesus died and stayed in the tomb, the story would be over. But he is the resurrection. He is the life. Now, if we're honest, that can sound really good this morning, but sometimes they can feel like there's a bit of disconnect there. You know, go, okay, great, I, I do believe this message, but what does that look like for me today? What difference does that really make? Let's just close by having a look at Martha together. You know, Martha really reminds me of, of the average church kid. And, you know, I know a bunch of us here are church kids. We've grown up in the church, been exposed to uh, Bible teaching. And, you know, we were kids in Sunday school. We were like, uh, the Holy Spirit, you know, we had all the right answers. We knew what to say. But we were saying stuff with our mouths before we truly believed them in our hearts most of the time, right? If you're a church kid. I know for me, you know, you sometimes just got things totally wrong. I remember hearing the story, I must have heard the story of Moses where he throws the staff down before Pharaoh and his staff becomes a snake. Uh, I remember hearing that story and being like, I know what to do with this. And so once, when I was probably about six, seven years old and I was playing football with my friends on the street, I was like, I am going to show to them that God is alive. I took some stones, I said to them, I'm going to make these stones turn to snakes. I threw them down and they were like, cool story. You know, <laughs> nothing happened. Church kids, we sometimes have weird ideas, don't we? We say things with our mouths that we don't really understand. And that's what we see here with Martha. She's a bit like a church kid, I think. She has said, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you've been sent from God. But when it comes down to it, there's a big question mark there. Is, does she really believe. No, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The plan isn't working out. Jesus, where were you? I thought you cared about us. It's a sort of pointing of the finger, isn't it? But Martha is a bit different to Mary. Mary feels like, I feel like she just throws it out there. If you, weren't, if you were here, this would be better. But Martha's a church kid who tries to, she adds a bit more on. Did you see this verse 22? She says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you you ask. You know, I know there's a resurrection to come. Maybe I'm overstating this, but I feel like Martha's the one who would have a, I can do all things through him who gives me strength coffee mug at home. She's that kind of person. So but I, I know this though, Jesus. She believes in the resurrection to come. She says that in verse 24, but she's failing to see the resurrection that is right in front of her in this moment. Though she's confessing with her mouth the belief of the resurrection to come, she cannot see that there is resurrection right now, in this moment, today, for her. 
Now, I think sometimes we can be quite a lot like Martha. We think of resurrection as a future thing. Now, one day Jesus will come back and everything will be better. He will raise us to new life and all the horrible things in this world will be done with. And until that day, I'm just going to curl up in my sleepy ball, just grip my teeth and just get through to that day. Friends, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't simply say, I will be the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus today, right here, right now, is bringing spiritually dead people to life. That should get us saying amen. 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 People, People who are being freed from the power of sin. Right now in the world today, people are going to be freed from the addictions of pornography and alcoholism and drugs. People are being freed from their unbelief. Blind people are being made to see. The lost are being found. Resurrection is happening all around us. And resurrection is happening within us as well, if we know Jesus. And Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, do you believe this? Trinity Church, do we believe truly in the power of resurrection right now, today? Do we believe Jesus is enough for North Manchester? You know, this morning when we got to church, there was a homeless guy sleeping on the steps here. Do we believe Jesus is for him? I walked past the woman who's drinking white lightning on the bench. Do I believe that the power of the resurrection can change that woman's life? So we go out to the park in a few minutes, we look around. Do we look around and go, Jesus can totally transform this community because he is the resurrection and the life. When I was reversing my car out of the driveway this morning, uh, around 10 past eight to come here this morning, I looked around my street and all the curtains are shut because Sunday morning is a sleepy morning for most people, isn't it? And I just thought, gosh, this is a picture of where we are right now. I'm on my way to celebrate the resurrection with my brothers and sisters while all my neighbours are asleep in their beds. Do I believe that the resurrection is so good that it could even wake them from their spiritual sleepiness? Trinity Church, God has woken us up. He's woken us up to the reality of who he is. Do you believe that? And do we believe that we have a message that is so good that it can transform this community? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who wept at the grave of Lazarus. And Father, that in Christ you have been so moved that you have stepped in to fix our unbelief, to wake us up from our spiritual sleepiness. Lord, we want to confess before you today the sleepiness that we've been in these last few days. We've been struggling to read our Bibles. We might have been struggling to believe. Oh, Father, we pray that today by your spirit, you would wake us up so that we would go out into the world today confident in the life that you have given us and confident in the good news of the gospel. Lord, help us to believe today. We praise things in your name. Amen.